I'm glad, whoa, sorry. And I'm glad that you all are here this morning, and uh, what a joyful time it is to be together. Uh, last Thursday, we celebrated Veterans Day as a nation, and so just uh, in a moment, I'd like for uh, all those who have served in some form or branch of the military in the past or are currently serving, would you please stand up at this time? Anybody that has, let's give God a round of applause. really hard to put into words how thankful I am for the country that I live in and the freedoms that we have because of men and women that are willing to serve and put their life on the line for ours. And so thank you so much to each of you that have served and continue to serve uh, to give us those freedoms. We're in the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark, and we're in chapter 6. As you look at chapter 6, verses 45 through 56, it's the account of Jesus walking on the water in the middle of the storm. And as you look at these verses, we think, well, didn't we already do this story? It wasn't, I mean, we're going through Mark. Did you, did you figure, you know, did you forget where we're at, Charles? But no, uh, nine weeks ago, which is kind of amazing to me how time flies. Nine weeks ago, we were in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And that was another account of Jesus calming the storm. You might be wondering, like, why is this happening again? Why are we in the middle of these storms? And I wonder if it might be because we live in a world where we're in the middle of a storm quite often, where we're constantly facing the storms of this life. And I also wonder if it might be something to the effect of how we need to be reminded of certain things in our lives. Nine weeks ago, we, we discussed this Jesus being on the boat. And, and in this case, Jesus is not on the boat as it begins. But I, rem I think it's this reminder that, you know, we need to be taught the same lesson maybe more than once, kind of like with our kids, right? We, we have to continually share the same lesson over and over again with our kids, just as God wants to share the same lesson over and over with us at times. And I thought about this, this idea of storms, and I don't know how many of you have gone on a, a road trip where you've left, maybe it's a little overcast, you're like, oh, I hope we don't hit any weather, and sure enough, you hit some weather. Uh, to the point where it's coming down hard and your windshield wipers are going back and forth as fast as they can, you know, and you're still like, I don't know where the, the road is type of thing. And you're in the middle of a storm and in your mind, you're like, do we keep going? Do we push through? Do we stop? You know, do we, you know, come under? Because sometimes the, the rain's coming down so hard you think it's hail. And so maybe we should stop under this bridge. And if you're with me in my car, you're like, no, we're just going through, right? You know, there's no stopping. We got to get to our destination. We're going to make it through eventually but there's times where you're like well, should we take a different route should we should we go around the storm and miss it completely should we try to you know just push on or, or what should we do and as we look at these verses this morning there's a lot to get from these verses but one of the main things which is also the title of the message is that Jesus walked only where God walks Jesus walks only where God walks as you kind of think that idea through, I wonder in our own lives, are we walking where God walks? Are we walking where we think we should walk? And so I pray that we hear from God this morning. And so let's go to him in prayer as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it convicts and changes and uh, works on our hearts and our minds. That we would be canvas and clay in your hands that we would allow you to 
shape us into who you want us to be, that you would paint the beautiful picture of our life when we just surrender everything over to you. And so God, may you speak to us through your Holy Spirit's power. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. We're going to look at Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56. And this is not a, an exact reenactment, but just kind of gives you an idea of what might be taking place. It is uh, the exact reading from the NIV, chapter 6, verses 45 through 56, if you want to follow along in your own Bibles. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. Go ahead and stop that real quick. Push pause on the other account or the other music that music that's playing and then just start it over again and crank it up bill thanks <laughs> just under that music tab tammy sorry we start we were having troubles with sound first service so we were testing the music aspect of sound and then also the video and we still have that music playing so we're going to get it here in just a moment and then we'll follow along again mark chapter 6 verses 45 through 56 and you can follow along in your scriptures jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd after leaving them he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. And so as you look at these verses, I think we have to look at kind of the situation that the disciples were in, which I think sometimes are the same situation that we're in. And then you also look at Jesus and what he is dealing with. And then I think there's also a test that comes out here in these verses. And so our situation is, is the first thing that I want us to look at because as you go down through this, as you look at how these disciples react to what's going on, I, I think that we need to be able to pass the test at the end. Because when we pass the test, we know that we can make it through any storm that comes our way. And so verses 45 through 48 is our situation. Jesus has just fed 5,000 men just right before this, and that's not even including women and children. 
There's a lot taking place. We discussed last week how Jesus was, you know, bombarded by people and the crowds, and there's a lot that's taking place. It's kind of like the entourage that came for Faith's baptism this morning. Yeah, the crowd showed up, which is awesome. Appreciate that family being here and supporting her. And then you read in verse 45 where it says, immediately, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And this word immediately is oftentimes used in Mark. He, he likes this idea of let's get at it, right? Let's get to it. And so Jesus has immediately has them on the boat. And there's a sense of urgency that Jesus has for his disciples, for them to, to go so that then Jesus can do what? Well, we see that in verse 46, that he can pray. And I think there's times where we need to really recognize that when we're in the middle of everything that's going on, craziness all around us, we just need to step back. And we need to go to our God, our Heavenly Father, and spend time in prayer. Because there's a lot, again, with what Jesus is dealing with. The feeding of this five, the 5,000, that was awesome. It was amazing. And, and so many people saw it, and, and everybody's excited, and they want more, right? They, they want their needs met. They want to, to make Jesus into who they think he should be. And so Jesus is kind of going through a test here. We, we see the test for the disciples a little later on, but right here at the beginning, we see Jesus dealing a little bit with a test, a, a temptation that might be taking place in Jesus' mind. Because if you look at the John account, the Gospel of John, and you look at the account of what's taking place with the feeding of the 5,000, it says in the book of John that the crowd wanted to make Jesus their king, and they were willing to do it by force. And if I'm Jesus, I'm thinking, all right, yeah, I want to be king, right? Uh, here's a thousand, you know, 5,000 men, not including women and children, uh, most likely anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people that are crowding around like, you should be our king. I'm like, yeah, I, I should be your king, right? Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm glad you guys thought of it, but not Jesus. You know, and you think about the temptation that might have been for him to want to be their king, and yet Jesus knew that the path ahead led to the cross, not to glory and conquest. The glory and the honor, it would come, but it wouldn't come until the betrayal and the cross first came. And so Jesus was going through his own storm, and so he retreated and he spent most of the night in prayer. And I don't know when the last time you spent most of the night in prayer, but I, I can't even say that I ever have. But the focus in this passage really isn't on the storm that Jesus faced. It really has to do with the, the storm that his disciples are going through. And so you read in verses 47 and 48, When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. And I want you to, us to notice here this morning, Jesus has sent his disciples out in the boat by themselves. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Jesus, not a good idea. 
right? I mean, it's kind of like when you see the neighbors down the street, and they're going out on a date or something, and you notice that all their kids are left, and you're like, that's not a good idea. That never turns out well, because it's always somebody else's kids, right? Okay? And, and so I'm thinking, Jesus, not a good idea. Anytime you leave the disciples by themselves, things go wrong, and sure enough, here's the situation where the disciples are away from Jesus, and they encounter a problem. But then notice what Jesus does here as he looks from the shore and again what's taking place is Jesus sending them out into the storm across the water and again this is not a a storm similar to the Mark chapter 4 passage where they were in fear of their life I mean they were they were in a they just were super, super scared in Mark chapter 4. This is more of a, a, a facing a, a huge wind, a wind that wasn't letting them really go anywhere. It's kind of like uh, here in Wyoming, right? We, we face winds that doesn't seem to let us go anywhere. I, I coach soccer, and there's been times where kids will kick the ball, and will go up in the air and go, and it'll almost start coming back like it's a boomerang, and the wind's blowing so hard. And, and that's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're rowing as hard as they can. They're doing everything they can possibly do to get across, and this wind, it just wouldn't let up. This wind, it just wouldn't stop. We read that they're straining at the oars, making very little progress, and by the time Jesus does anything, it's already like 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. They've been rowing all night long. Everything they've given, they've given in to the rowing to try to get across, and one commentator, R. Allen Cole, says, This episode is a good illustration of the life of discipleship. It was not through stubborn self-will, but through direct obedience to the Lord's command that the disciples found themselves in this predicament. Meaning they're in this storm not because they were being disobedient, but because they were being Obedient. Thus, the storm is no in no way showed that they had deviated from the path of God's will. God's path for them lay through the storm to the other shore of the lake. Moreover, it appeared as if the Lord had forgotten them. They were alone at night, making heavy weather with the rowing. And isn't that how life works sometimes? We, we give everything that we can possibly give and it just never seems to be enough. And I, you might ask yourself, well, why would Jesus even allow the disciples to go through this crisis alone? And the answer that came to my mind was that he was working with them. He was testing them. He was preparing them. He, he was training them. This was part of their training to, to get to a point where they could go out and do all this on their own. And we're going to be placed in situations Believing that God has sent us into those situations and there's going to be times where we're straining at the oars as hard as we can and we're getting nowhere, right? There's very little progress taking place. We're, we're reaching out to someone that we love and care about, a neighbor, a co-worker, a, a family member, and we're trying to share Jesus with them and we're trying to reach out to them in love and it just it feels like we're getting nowhere. And we've exhausted everything that we have to give. And all the while, it seems like, Jesus, where are you at? Why are you not showing up? 
It, it feels like he's somewhere else, and we can expect this to be part of our experience. You're, you're going to face those times in your life where you're going to go through some of that. And so I just want to remind us of three quick lessons And these are quick, so if you need to write them down, I would encourage you to do so. First is, we will face adversity and hardship. The truth is, as Christians, we're not promised, you know, to be exempt from any of that. Some of you are facing some hard times in our world with your jobs, in our government, and what's being required of you. And and so you're trying to stand up for truth, and you're trying to stand up for what you believe to be is right. And there's going to be some adversity and hardship because we're not exempt from those as Christians. If we're going to follow Jesus' adversity and hardship, it's going to be part of the path. And there's always, there are going to be times when we're at the end of our resources is another thing that I see here. That you're going to be at the end of your resources. And again, we see that with these disciples straining at the oars, giving everything they have. They gave it all, and it just wasn't enough. There are going to be times that we are working so hard, but seemingly making very little progress. Reaching the point of helplessness and desperation is actually a step forward spiritually. You get to where God actually can begin to really mold you into who he wants you to be. Because there will be times in our lives where as we go through the things of this world, that almost feels like Jesus is absent. But do you notice what it says about Jesus and where he was at and what he was doing when the disciples were rowing so hard? He was on the shore, right? But it says he could do what? He could, he could see them. He knew where they're at. He knew what they were going through. Jesus sees where you are at. He knows everything you're going through. And he cares about you. He has not abandoned you. And if you're in one of these moments right now of suffering and hardship, being at the end of your resources, feeling like God has abandoned you, then in all reality, you're in a really good spot. Because that spot allows for you to completely and totally depend on him. Eugene Peterson says, suffering is not evidence of God's absence, but of God's presence. And it is in our experience of being broken that God does his surest and most characteristic salvation work. It's in those moments where we've exhausted every avenue that we can think of, that God shows up, and he does the work. See, God is working out his salvation in our lives the way that he always has worked it, by needing to be the first and top priority of our lives, no matter what's going on. And we're going to face situations like this, and it's in these very situations that we learn something about Jesus. And so that's our situation. We need Jesus And here's Jesus. And we look at this passage and we want, what do we learn from him? And as the disciples face this hardship, what does Jesus teach them and us about himself? And there are a few details that point to something deeper going on here. In verse 48 it says, Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. And he was about to pass by them. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But throughout the years, people, man, they've really struggled with this idea of Jesus walking on the water, right? It, that's just not normal. In fact, uh, we did a little video at camp one year where we were saying, hey, we need to be like Jesus. 
But it doesn't necessarily look like this. It doesn't necessarily look like we're us walking on water. In fact, we had kids at camp running off the dock as fast as they can and trying to stay on top of the water, and boom, they went right in the water. It was really funny to watch, okay? And, and that's, that's how it seems to go, right? We want, we want to be like Jesus. We want to run out and onto the water and, and stay on top, and boom, we're, we're under and we're drowning, and we don't know what's going on. And yet Jesus, by walking on the water, it says something. It says something huge. Because from Scripture, it teaches us that only God can walk on water. Do you see that? And they're going to know this. Those, the disciples, they're going to know that only God could walk on water. And so here's Jesus showing up, walking on the water. In fact, in Job chapter 9, verse 8, Job chapter 9, verse 8, it says, He alone, speaking about God, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Only God. Well, if only God can do that, how, how is Jesus doing it? Well, that's the point. Jesus is God. No longer can they just say, oh, Jesus is a good teacher, or Jesus is a good prophet, or he's, he's someone that's fun to listen to, or he's got some neat things going on. But no, are you going to accept Jesus for who he is? Because Jesus is saying that he's God. He's walking on the water. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, who do I believe Jesus to be? Am I really willing to believe that he's the son of God? Because if he is, then that requires something of me. That, that requires a life change. That doesn't just say, okay, well, that's nice. No, scripture says that we have to be willing to take up our cross and follow him. To die to our old selves. To, to be a new creation. And so then you come to this phrase here, uh, as you read this, he was about to pass by them, and you're wondering, what's Jesus doing here? Why is that even in there? Like, is he trying to beat them across the lake? You know, is this a race? Jesus is like, hey, I could beat you. You guys are rowing. I'm going to walk across. But no, that's not what's taking place. It, I think we have to really understand from a biblical standpoint what this idea of pass by really means. And some of you, are, it's, you're already going there. This idea of passing by in Exodus, which is in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 33, verses 19 through 22. I'm just going to kind of give you a highlights in here. It says, Moses said to God, show me your glory. And God replied, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. When my glory passes by... I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then again in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, God told Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And once again, these disciples, they knew they, they knew those teachings. They knew those verses. Jesus is not only walking on water here, which tells us that he is not any just normal person, but he is also passing by. And this is the language of God revealing himself. You see, as God revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai and on Horeb to Elijah, God is revealing himself in the person of Jesus Christ 
as Jesus walks on the water and begins to pass by the disciples. And there's one more clue that we need to spot. When the disciples saw Jesus passing by, walking on the water, they thought he was a ghost. And Jesus immediately spoke to them and said, and in my translation, the NIV, it says, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And you think, that makes sense. It's I. Don't be afraid. You know, it's Jesus. Okay. But what Jesus is actually saying in the Greek, if you dig a little deeper, he's saying, take courage, I am. That kind of gives me goosebumps. I am. And you're like, well, why, why is that important? What does that mean? And again, if you go back into the Old Testament, when Moses asked God for his name, when God first revealed himself to Moses, God gave his name as I am. Exodus 3 verse 14, I am is God's personal name. And it's how God describes himself. And Jesus is saying that the God who created the world from nothing, who set the stars in place, who gave us life, who made a covenant with his people, and who delivered Israel out of Egypt, that great I am is now walking on the water right in front of you. See, Jesus passes by them and reveals his presence and identity so that they can have confidence in the middle of the storm. And that's so true for us today. If you look at these verses and really understand what's taking place, that's the point. The point is, is you're going to face trials. You're going to face struggles. You're going to face adversity. And in the middle of all that, the great I am is right there in your presence. When you begin to put this together with the other events that have taken place, you begin to realize that Mark, he's teaching something about Jesus here. Because can you think of another time when God led his people through the waters and fed them in the wilderness when there was no food? Well, sure you can. It, it was when God brought his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, into freedom. And that's exactly what God wants to do in our lives today. He wants to bring us out of the sin of our lives, and, and bring us to a point of freedom, to, to bring us through the water, just as we saw here even this morning, to come out of that water, to be a new creation, to be saved. Faith has that freedom, no longer slave to sin, but because of the great I am, we have hope for eternity. And Mark is trying to get them to see that. Yeah, yeah, Moses, he's awesome. He's one of your forefathers. He did some amazing things through the power of God. But Jesus, now Jesus is on a whole different level. Jesus can bring people out of the water to make the waters calm. And, and he is the one that is the great I am in the midst of all of that. And so I just want us to pause for a moment. We said that this is all part of the disciples' training process. And Jesus knew that the disciples had gone through some tough stuff already. Jesus knew in his own life that he was going to have to face the cross. 
Jesus knew that the disciples were going to have to continue to go through some hardships. And because Jesus knew all that, would he just want to just say, hey, I'm just going to make everything better all the time. I'm always going to make it easy on you. I'm going to always allow for the storms to just pass away, and you don't, you're not going to have to deal with them. If he always did that in their lives and in our lives, we would never be ready for what we're going to face in this life. You see, Jesus knew that he was going to be rejected, that he was going to be killed that he was going to suffer many terrible things. And we see that in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He knew that the path for the disciples would also involve the suffering and hardship. And so the point of this passage was that God will deliver us from, from the fact that we're, we're not in it alone. He, he, deliver us, he delivers us, but he delivers us from having to try to go through it all by ourselves. He's saying, I'm right there with you. Maybe you're going to have to deal with some tough stuff. Maybe you're going to have to go through some difficult times. But I'm there all the while. I'm in your presence. And every single person here this morning is going to suffer. The point is not that we will be exempt from storms. But the point is that the great I am is with us through the storm. Because he is Lord, we don't need to be afraid. No matter how the sea may rage, or the winds may blow. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1 through 3 is an encouraging passage. Maybe you know a song from these verses. But it says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear. For I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen? Man, I don't know what better news to share to the world than that. Because our world is in constant chaos, and they're wondering what's going to happen in our futures and all this. And I just want to say, trust in Jesus. He's going to get you through. It might not always be pretty, but he's going to get us through. And God reveals his presence and identity so we can have confidence in the storm. And as C.S. Lewis wrote in The Horse and His Boy, Aslan, the figure of, G of God, says, Aslan was among them. Though no one had seen him coming. And God is among us. Even if we're not recognized it in every aspect of who he is and what he's doing, God is among us. And we've seen that this passage teaches us that we're going to experience times of hardship in which we're at the end of our resources and in which seems like Jesus has, is gone and is not there. We've also seen that this passage reveals that Jesus is the great I am who assures us of his presence. And then this passage, just one more thing. This passage leaves us with a test. Some of you didn't know you're coming to church to take a test this morning, but may maybe as you think about this idea of this test, you look at the disciples and what test they were dealing with. Verse 51 and verse 52 say, When he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down, they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And you're wondering, like, 
what? What, what is he getting at? Loaves, there was bread in the boat? No, it, it means that he just fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish, and, and, and their hearts are still hard. They're not understanding it. Mark ties together the, these, this feeding of the 5,000 and this revelation of who Jesus is, of being God in the flesh. And all the while, the disciples that have been with him are missing it. And I'm thinking, that's me. That's me again. I'm one of them. Cotton picking, you know. Oh, man, I just, every single time that something goes well and, and I forget about all, all of what Jesus has done and, and we, we praise him for the good things and then we go through the hard times like, God, where are you at? You know, why aren't you working? And, and, and all the while, it's, why don't I remember that God got me through the last storm? Why can't I remember that he's going to get me through the next storm? And it's interesting how this Mark compares this, this idea of hard-heartedness, which oftentimes he uses to describe the disciples' opponents, you know, the, the Pharisees and the leaders of, of the law at the time, and he uses it to describe their hearts and what they're dealing with and the fact that they're just not getting it. And as you look at verse 45, you go back there, they're supposed to be heading to Bethsaida. Well, it, it, they don't get there, quite, at least not yet. Not for a few more chapters. And Mark contrasts, again, their hard hearts with what happens in verse 53 through 56. Where people, excuse me, come and, and they begin to ask for, for healings because they have faith in Jesus. And so there's this contrast of the disciples that are always with Jesus and their hard heart versus the crowd that's coming with faith. You see, the disciples failed to grasp who Jesus is, and they also failed to consider how God had worked in the past and apply that knowledge to their current situation. And I wonder how many of us need to do that. Take what God has done for us in the past and apply it today and what he's doing here and now, and we're left with the same test. If we understand that God has visited us in the person of Jesus, we can be assured of his presence no matter what we go through. We can have confidence in any storm that we go through. And the disciples, they failed the test in this moment. But you think about Jesus. When Jesus passed through the mother of all storms, when he was betrayed and killed, and when he bore our sins, he passed the test. He didn't back away from it. He didn't try to go around it. He went directly through it. He walked where only God walks. Because he remained faithful in the storm, there's hope for all of us who at times are very faithless. And in that, that verse, it says, God, help me. I, I have faith, but, but help me with my faith. Help me to believe. I'm struggling with that. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says, If we are faithless... He remains faithful. And isn't that an amazing promise that no matter when we make mistakes, when we fall short, when we are so far off track that God, he's still faithful. He still remains true. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as the praise team comes, Matthew chapter 14 gives a more detailed account of this story. If you remember in this account in Matthew, there, there's Peter and Peter saying, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. 
And so he said, come. And that same invitation is for every single one of us today. Jesus is extending it and he's saying, come. If you need to get right with God this morning, if you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you need to, as faith did, to go down in the watery graves of baptism, to come up a new creation, to have your sins washed away, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, then Jesus is saying, come. In fact, Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And as I thought about Peter, as he stepped out of the boat, as his willingness to step out of the boat, when he stepped out, did the storm stop? No. And Jesus is calling some of you to step out of the boat. It doesn't mean that the storm is going to stop. In fact, J Peter was in the middle of that storm outside of the boat. And when did Peter start to have issues? When he took his eyes off of Jesus, right? And I wonder... Do you have your eyes on the problems of this world, or do you have your eyes on Jesus this morning? Many of you are in the middle of a storm, and you just step out of the boat. Where are your eyes focused on? Jesus, God in the flesh, came to this earth for you and for me, and he's the one that took your punishment and mine on the cross for our sins. Will you step out of the boat and accept his free gift of salvation this morning? Because I think many of you in this room would say, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower. I'm trying to do the best to understand what Jesus teaches and follow that. But guess what? There were 11 disciples still in the boat when Peter was willing to step out of the boat. And so I wonder, am I willing to step out of the boat and trust in God Lloyd Douglas, in his novel, The Robe, has a scene where this young man named Marcellus writes his fiancée, Diana, of how he has become enamored with this person called Jesus. His miracles, his teachings, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and in a final letter, he says he will become a follower of Jesus. And she writes back and says, What I feared most has happened. It is a beautiful story, but let it remain a story. We don't have to do anything about it, do we? This morning, as a matter of fact, you do. As a matter of fact, you have to decide, am I going to believe in who Jesus says he is as the Son of God and live according to what Jesus calls me to live according to? Or am I going to just do whatever I want to do? See, you have to make that decision for yourself. And so if you need to make that decision this morning, if that's something that you've been struggling with, if that's something that you need to, to talk with someone about, we'd encourage you. We're going to sing a song of invitation, a song of commitment. And if you need to get right with God this morning, we'd invite you to come. And as you come, there will be an elder up here that will meet you, to talk with you, to pray with you to discuss what you might need in your life this morning. So if you have a decision to make, will you please stand with us as we sing a song of invitation? If you need to, to get right with God this morning, would you please come? Sad.
your burdens. Here we go.